G'day and welcome to We're Only Here Once. I'm James Wiley and these are my stories. I hope you enjoy the ride. Nineteen ninety three Chapter six Costa Rica After the funky jazz of Puerto Rico, Costa Rica was a good old fashioned country soul surf mission. For twelve days Joy and I searched for waves along the thousand kilometres of Costa Rica's Pacific coast. We forded rivers, survived storms, and slept mostly in the sweaty, lane down front seats of our hire car. When we parted in Barbados two months before, Joy had asked me to call her at her mum's place on the US East Coast sometime in early April. If Joy's work at the hotel in Hawaii was still on hold due to hurricane damage, she'd be keen to join me on another surf trip. So when I called from Puerto Rico and said I was heading to Costa Rica, Joy booked a flight to meet me two weeks later in San Jose Airport at 7pm. All it took to confirm our arrangements was one more three-minute phone call a few days later. No flurry of texts, FaceTimes and emails required. Easy beans. My flight arrived in San Jose an hour before Joy's, so I passed the time by searching for a rental car. Every company with a counter at the airport told me their cars were either booked out or astronomically expensive. Amazingly, when I went back to the same counters accompanied by Joy an hour or so later, we found just the car we wanted at a very reasonable price. I wonder why. By the time we'd done the paperwork and loaded our stuff into and onto the car, it was too late to get any value out of paying for a hotel. So we began our adventure with the time-honoured tradition of an all-night drive to the coast. Finding the right highway to take us from the airport out of town was a trial. But once on track, it was a pretty straightforward 300-kilometre, 5-hour drive to our first destination, the waves at Witches Rock in Costa Rica's far north. This isolated spot had become a favourite of the American surf magazines in the few years prior. The perfectly formed cobalt blue waves breaking on a white gold beach in a pristine national park were made even more photogenic by the grey-white rock stack that towered above the horizon half a kilometre out to sea. It was a surf photographer's dream. While the empty, well-built highway made night driving straightforward, staying awake proved more difficult so a couple of times we pulled off the road to catch a half-hour's sleep. Parked in the middle of nowhere, in a hire car full of gringo stuff and surfboards stacked high on the roof, we felt like an invitation to robbery or worse. Our first lay-by was a narrow shoulder of the highway, lit up by the bright orange lights of an oil refining plant. We weren't sure if the lights made us more secure or more of a target, but we dodged that bullet and in the early dawn light we found the rough dirt track through the Santa Rosa National Park to the Witches Rock Beach. It was the first time I'd been beside the Pacific Ocean since I'd left Sydney six and a half years before. And this morning it was indeed Pacific. No waves, no wind, just deep blue like a lake all the way to the wide horizon. But in the distance to the north we could see the famous offshore monolith that gives the wave its name. So we packed the only food we'd brought, one small muesli bar each and a bottle of water, and went for a stroll down the long, empty beach. We'd gone a couple of kilometres before we realised the mistakes we'd made. The car park was in a corner of the beach protected from the swell, 
and the beach was longer, the rock was taller than had appeared at our first dawn glance. As we walked, tiny lines of open ocean swell grew from ripples to ankle slappers and beyond. By the time we neared Witch's Rock, the swell lines were head high and the waves were absolutely firing. Joy decided she was too tired to do anything more than catch up with some sleep on the beach. So in the rapidly climbing heat, I jogged back alone to the car to get my board. By the time I'd completed the 4k round journey, I was fully cooked, but I managed a few good rides before dehydration, hunger and exhaustion set in. The waves were every bit as good as the magazine photos had promised. Hollow, fast and for a beach break, long. At late morning, we trekked back to the car, desperate for food and water. With none of either available in the National Park, we made the hour-long drive on dirt tracks back to the nearest town. We'd planned to return to Witch's Rock to camp and surf the next day, but by the time we'd found lunch and rested up, the decision was made to continue driving south in search of other waves, both known and unknown. First up was Tamarindo, a well-advertised surf town about two and a half hours' drive away. Contrary to our Witch's Rock experience, Tamarindo didn't live up to its hype. Sure, we only gave them a couple of days to show their wares, but the quality of the waves seemed exaggerated. Even more decisively, the town was expensive and commercialised, with new tourist developments and quite a few older expat Americans giving it the feel of a new suburb of Florida or Southern California. This wasn't what we were travelling to experience, so after a couple of days we drove 100 kilometres further south towards Samara on the Nicoya Peninsula to find places without postcards. Someone somewhere had told us to look out for a beach called Camaranal, but it wasn't mentioned on our undetailed map and road signs of any sort were few and far between. A good surf break only needs a couple of hundred metres of sand or reef to do its thing, so searching a patchily accessible 100km stretch of coast with too little information is a hell of a challenge. But the dreamed-of reward of finding and riding, ideally alone, an elusive wave in an exotic locale makes this search forever worthwhile. After Samara Village, the decent road we'd been following turned directly inland, and the road that we guessed would stick closest to the coast grew rough. After following a series of frustrating, waveless dead ends around the little village of Puerto Carrillo, the track that seemed to carry the most promise simply disappeared into the River Aura. It seemed there might be a rough track about 50 metres away on the opposite riverbank, but wouldn't some sort of punt be needed to get us across? Over a late lunch by the river, we debated our options. I was in the process of getting organised to wade and or swim across the river to assess its depth when we heard an unseen truck approaching down the rough hills on the far shore. As the truck emerged from the scrubby country, it shifted down through its gears and gingerly followed the track into the river. It lurched around a fair bit as it bumped over big rocks on the riverbed, but the gently flowing water was less deep than we feared and the riverbed was plainly firm enough to take the truck's weight. Okay then. Our four-wheel drive renter car didn't ride as high as the truck, but it was clear we had too good a chance of making it to chicken out. We took the plunge. After a couple of adrenalised moments when it seemed we might have wedged our wheels between rocks, we cleared the river and were rewarded with the roughest track and steepest hills we'd encountered. 
adding to our growing anxiety about getting stranded in the middle of nowhere, a massive electrical storm blew in from the sea. Driving rain made it nearly impossible to see through the windscreen, and several times it seemed we were trapped in deep divots in the red mud road. While lightning and thunder seemed to aim personalised attacks on our lonely souls, we clawed up, then down, the winding spine of a series of low hills. Eventually, in the last light of day, we returned to flat land at sea level. As the countryside grew less wild, Joy thought she saw a hand-painted sign saying what might have been Cameronal, illuminated by a lightning flash. But neither of us were in the mood to explore further. Instead, we searched for a safe, quiet place to park up, have a bite to eat from the food we'd packed, and sleep. This haven we found a few kilometres further east at a lonely beach village called Playa Islita. Despite the last of the storm crashing around us, we fell asleep pretty quickly in the front seats of the car, while little wind-borne waves washed against the high tide line. next morning dawned clear and calm, and the ocean out front of where we'd parked was flat. Retracing our route from the evening before, we refound the hand-painted sign saying Cameronal. Driving through an open wooden gate, we crossed an open field to the coast. The beach was completely deserted. We might as well have been the only humans on the planet that morning. But to our surprise, a few waves were breaking on a series of sandbars divided by deep water channels. Wisely cautious as ever, Joyce said she'd watch from shore while I paddled out to wash off the sweat from last night's driver seat sleep. As I paddled out in one of the deep water channels, I felt something like electricity. The water was barely translucent and each drop seemed to cling to my fingers as if it was alive. The rip raced me quickly seawards and I discovered the waves we'd seen from the car weren't little waves at all. I was only halfway out the back, and already I was watching some of the biggest beach break waves I'd experienced alone. I paddled hard to get out of the rip and over the sandbank to the left, where the most consistent waves were breaking. With my heart pounding, I took off on the first wave that peaked near me, a small one compared to some others I'd seen. Joy was watching and told me later it was double overhead. It exploded behind me and I bellied it a hundred metres to the beach to get the hell out of there. Guessing this was the start of a new groundswell, and not being comfortable in the wild isolation of Cameronal, we decided to hightail it south to Pavones, the wave in Costa Rica we both most wanted to surf. It was 500 kilometres and about 10 hours drive away, but in the spirit of that trip, that didn't seem a big deal. We drove back over the sketchy hill track we'd crossed the night before, and returned to the river crossing. Both were made even hairier by the effects of the previous night's storm. From Samara we followed the well-paved but slow-winding road through farmland north across the spine of the Nicoya Peninsula. 
We rejoined Costa Rica's mainland by taking the old ferry across the Tempisca River. In 2003, this ferry was replaced by a bridge named the Bridge of Friendship, since it was designed and financed by the government of Taiwan. Four years later, when Costa Rica turned its back on Taiwan to build a close relationship with China, the bridge was renamed the Backstab Bridge by the locals. From there, we turned southeast past Punta Arenas and Haco before stopping for the night at a cheap hotel beside a mosquito-ridden beach in Dominical. There we had our first shower and decent meal in a couple of days. Not surprisingly, we didn't wake till 10 the next morning. So it was mid-afternoon before we arrived at Pavonis to find kilometre-long waves rolling down the coast. It was pumping. Pavonis is in the far south of Costa Rica. The border with Panama is just a few kilometres away over the hills. The area is thick forest with just a few simple buildings by the shore, mostly catering for surfers. It's very beautiful, even before the waves arrive. We drove our car out towards the river mouth and found a quiet spot underneath the trees where we could sleep to the sound of the waves for free. For six days, this was home. The best section of the wave was 200 metres long, even more if you wanted to walk back up the point instead of paddling back against the swell-driven current. Once you'd positioned yourself right, the wave would slingshot you through section after section. It was easily as good as the descriptions we'd heard. Each day, Joy and I walked up the Rio Clara, the clear river, to swim and wash. Spectacular yellow-flowered Cortesa trees lit up the forest where little monkeys and a thousand types of birds chattered and sang. On the beach, we met Jimmy Hansen from Ventura and his girlfriend, Julie. Jimmy is still one of the best surfers I've known. By coincidence, we met later that year in Peru, and seven years after that, we met again by chance on the stairs leading down to Uluwatu in Bali. Wherever you are, Jimmy and Julie, I hope you're doing well. But it wasn't all beer and skittles. One of Joy's contact lenses grew brittle in the everyday heat and tore in two, with one half sliding behind her eyeball. With the nearest eye doctor at least six hours' drive away, it was an anxious couple of hours waiting for the half lens to eventually emerge. Much worse came on our second last night. Among the dozen or so people staying in the simple rooms on the point was a family with three young children, perhaps eight, six and four years old. Each night they ate in the rustic cantina where several of the village dogs hung out, hoping for scraps. One night, for some reason, it seemed so out of character, one of the dogs suddenly took the four-year-old's face in its teeth and shook hard. It was horrific. Both the child's cheeks were punctured in several places and blood was everywhere. We all did what little we could to help, but the family faced a long, slow drive, probably more than several hours, to the nearest medical facility, and it would be much further to the first proper hospital. We didn't see them again. On May 3rd, we drove the 400 kilometres back to the capital, San Jose, taking the scenic route through the beautiful Quetzales National Park. Somewhere near the airport, we took a wrong turn, and Joy missed her flight home to the US East Coast by a few minutes. Oh well, she decided, I might as well come with you to Nicaragua. Which is where we're going in Chapter 7 of 1993. If 
you'd like to see some photos that accompany these stories, you can find them at jameswiley.com and there's a link in the show notes. The music you've been listening to is written by me and played by me and my band, The Nomads. Big love and thanks to my family and friends without whom this wouldn't exist. And if you want to make a podcast, contact Rod Morrie at Sydney Podcast Studios. Thanks for dropping in. See ya!